Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about faith, family, freedom, the state of Illinois, our nation, and conservative action. Here's David Smith and Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. I'm Monty Larrick. During this edition of Spotlight, we're featuring a question and answer session from the recent Illinois Family Institute Worldview Conference held at Stone Church in Orland Park. The theme of this year's conference was transgenderism, how it's impacting the lives of individuals, families, and our culture. Our speakers at the event were Walt Heyer, who at the age of 42 underwent gender reassignment surgery and spent eight years living as a woman. His website, sexchangeregret.com, reaches over 250,000 people a year. Denise Schick is founder and director of Help for Families, a Christian ministry that reaches out to family members who are grappling with the emotional and spiritual issues when someone they love identifies as transgender. Dr. Michelle Critella is the director of the American College of Pediatricians. She's also a member of the board of directors for the Alliance for Therapeutic Choice. Doug Wilson is a pastor in Moscow, Idaho, and a conservative reformed evangelical theologian. He's a prolific author whose works include Rules for Reformers, as well as Excused Absence, Should Christian Kids Leave Public School? And joining the panel was Lori Higgins, IFI's cultural affairs writer. Lori opened the Q&A session with a comment about the implications of transgenderism on privacy and our culture. The end game is not allowing a few men who identify as women in women's restrooms. The end game is the eradication of public recognition of sexual differentiation everywhere for everyone. That means in restrooms, in locker rooms, in showers, in shelters, in prisons, in nursing home rooms, in dormitory rooms, in semi-private hospital rooms. It means no private spaces for anyone everywhere. That's where we're going. That's why everyone should care about this. Um, mentioned the American Academy of Pediatrics. It's a left-wing organization. And you'll often hear it cited, the AAP affirms these uh, transgender protocols, you know, the chemical sterilization of children and the surgical mutilation of minors. All we know, and I've done two articles about this, all we know is that 55 people have established this protocol, this AAP position on it. They're not even all doctors. That's the most recent one. The first one was 36 people. They established a committee. They're all leftists. They created the policy. They voted on it. And then it goes out. It is not submitted to the 66,000 members of the AAP. I'm not suggesting that no one else agrees with it. I'm saying we have no idea. There is no minority report filed. So it's important information if you're talking to your school boards. So you can challenge them when they say, oh, you know, if a parent has come in and said, we don't want co-ed restrooms here, and they say, oh, well, the AAP says this, you can clarify and say, all we know is 55 members created and supported that policy. The Kaiser um, Health Foundation came out with a, a newsletter about a year ago talking about the dangers of Lupron, which is the puberty blocker that Dr. Critella talked about that prevents kids from getting to going into puberty. And they mentioned in this newsletter how risky it is, how many complaints they've gotten, that the FDA is going to review it because of, for safety concerns because they've gotten thousands of complaints about it. 
What they didn't mention in the letter was that it's used as a puberty blocker for gender dysphoric children. They just talked about the medical reasons for it, which Dr. Cretella could say there are actual medical reasons why kids are administered that. And they never mentioned that that's the chief puberty blocker for gender dysphoric children, and that it's never been FDA okayed for that purpose. Doug was talking so much about sort of the incoherence of this. You know, the left will say, you know, that gender dysphoric or trans-identifying persons shouldn't have to use restrooms with people whose gender identity they don't share. And conservatives never say, then why should normal people be forced to use restrooms with people whose sex they don't share? We don't ask those questions. We don't put them, you know, we don't put them on the defensive. We don't go on the offensive. I was in a... Before we legalized same-sex marriage here in Illinois, I was on a radio program with Ed Yonka, who's a spokesperson for the ACLU, and we were debating same-sex marriage, and he kept saying, marriage is the union of two people who love each other. And I said, why two people? And B he said, bigot. Pardon? <laughs> that, that you should was say, why two people, you bigot, is what That's you right, said. exactly. That's kind of the answer. And he just kept saying, Oh, we're not here to talk about that. We're not here to talk about it. Finally, I said to the host, after like three times I tried, I said, I would submit that the reason he's not answering that is he can't answer that. We know why marriage is the union of two people. It's because there's two sexes. Once you say sex is irrelevant, there remains no reason for marriage to be the union of two people, which is why we will get legalized plural unions. There might be people in here who have a family member who is experiencing gender dysphoria. It might be someone who experiences rapid onset gender dysphoria because our social media is providing a lens through which teenagers and primarily girls are misinterpreting experiences they have. The, the detransitioners are coming out now. But we have now young girls who are maybe started identifying as the opposite sex when they were 14, 15, 16, and now at 22, 23, they are detransitioning. They're going back to their, and I, I mean, they never, you can't transition. You can't become the other sex, but they're returning to accepting their biological sex. So there's two websites I want to tell people in case they have family members struggling with this or friends. One is called Fourth Wave Now, four number, Fourth Wave Now, all one word. They, this was started by parents, actually liberal parents, who had children who were suddenly identifying as gender dysphorics, and they created this. There's an article on there by J. Michael Bailey, who's a gender researcher, not conservative at Northwestern, talking about the myths about if you don't affirm trans identity, your child will commit suicide. He refutes that argument. There's a lot of information. Now, four young women have started a website called Peak, P-I-Q-U-E, Peak Resilience Project. They are all, they're liberal. Two of them identify as lesbians now. They are all detransitioning. Three of them took cross-sex hormones, so you will notice that voice changes are irreversible, by the way. So if they've taken testosterone, their voices are different. So it, I just want to give that out because people may have loved ones and they'd like to access that information. The question for Dr. Cretel is, I was trying to catch the percentages of, of, of uh, children that grow out of gender dysphoria. It was like 60 to something percent. I didn't get it all. What, what was the percentage there that grow out of it? So up to 98% of gender confused. Up to 98%. So up to 98% of gender confused boys will outgrow it if they're supported through their natural puberty. Okay. 
and up to 88% of girls will outgrow it if supported through their natural puberty. The problem now, now th those studies occurred before all this propaganda was abounding. So now it's more difficult. But yeah, it was huge. It was. Can I just add something? And it's actually from Dr. Cortella. Oh. <laughs> what she's talking about is if you have children, these little children, and they are socially transitioning, so they're using their, they have a new name, and their, school, their parents go to the school and say, you have to use opposite sex pronouns, which no Christian should be doing, right. including Christians in public schools, and they're doing it. If they socially transition, and then they start puberty blockers at eight or nine years old, and then they switch to cross-sex hormones, the likelihood of them detransitioning is much reduced. Yeah, if, right. So even social transit, so even taking a young child and ha allowing them to dress as the opposite sex, you are, this is common sense, you're reinforcing their confusion and they're much less likely to grow out of it. Uh, Dr. Wilson, Dr. Cotella. Uh, Dr. Wilson wrote a, an article concerning the consent as young as 13 for major surgeries for so-called transitioning. Uh, this question is for both of you. He, he wrote that because a child or teenager that young can consent to such surgeries, it logically follows that they then cons can consent as early as that age for sexual intercourse. What are the threats that are out there in terms of legislation or the culturally for lowering consent to participate in sexual intercourse uh, as low as 13 or 12 or 11 or? I have not been contacted um, about legislation to lower the age of consent. But yes, there absolutely are people pushing for that. There are activists pushing for that. I would say they've been pushing for lowering the age of consent for sexual intercourse in advance of the transgender movement. I think it was the state of Colorado, maybe a couple months ago, I provided testimony uh, to a family policy institute in Colorado. They were, the activists were trying to pass a law that would allow children as young as 12 to consent to therapy without parental notification. So I, I think you're right. I think it, what it appears that the activists are, are um, in various states are trying to lower the age of consent for uh, the hormones and the surgeries and gender-affirming therapy. But this is all about sexualizing children, and you're right, that lowering the age of consent is bound to come up. I would agree. The homosexual community also, anyone who's sort of researched homosexuality through history knows that the dominant form it takes in cultures that accept it is between adult males yes. and pubescent boys. So mm -hmm. the homosexual community does want to lower the age of consent. Yeah, and the three men that I mentioned, Kenzie, Benjamin, and Money, wanted to eliminate the age period. Right. They wanted it available back in the 50s, uh, wanted it to be for anybody, wow. even infants. And actually, that's the, I mean, talk about the end game. I mean, that's the whole thing. With Alfred Kinsey, uh, sort of the father of, he preceded Planned Parenthood, right, even with sex education. You're sexual from cradle to grave. That came from Al Alfred Kinsey, and Planned Parenthood picked that right up. That's what comprehensive sex ed is all about. Well, I wonder if these 
two extreme pro-abortion bills in the Illinois legislature, particularly the one that re repeal parental notice. Is this all tied together? Absolutely. Oh, I didn't mention it, but Planned Parenthood is now, um, I, think, I think, have there been 20, I'm not sure if it's 20 Planned Parenthoods um, are now distributing or selling puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones to boys and girls. And the, the Planned Parenthoods that picked this up are ones who saw their abortion numbers declining. So they're moving into gender dysphoria as an additional revenue stream. So absolutely, Planned Parenthood is, is behind all the comprehensive sex education. They are vehemently pro-LGBTQT. They're, they're all... We need to... Our charge to them uh, in the meantime should be stop being schizophrenic. So you have this unplanned movie that just came out uh, on abortion that was rated R, which meant that a young girl can't go see it without a parent or a guardian, uh, but could go get an abortion without, uh, without a parent or garden, a guardian. We were, the mention was made of the tattoos. You, you, well, you're too, you can't make a, an informed decision about tattoos, but you can make an informed decision about having a double mastectomy. And then, but if that's the case, and this goes back to the initial question, then why, why can a 14-year-old girl make a decision, be competent to make that decision without talking to her parents and not be competent to start an affair with that doctor? Right. Right? Why, why can he uh, mutilate her but can't touch her? Ma'am, you had a question. Uh, yes, my question is for um, Pastor Wilson. You intimated that um, homeschool would be the best for Christians, and I had um, advocated that with a friend of mine, but then she said, what about the children in the public schools? You know, would we not be examples to them? So what do you say? So um, I believe that I'm, I'm a staunch advocate of private Christian education, whether homeschools or faithful brick-and-mortar Christian schools um, or online schools, but it's got to be faithful. It can't just have the name Christian on it. It's got to be a true Christian education. If we say, well, what about the kids who are left behind in the government school system? What about them? Well, the best thing we can do is have that system come down, right? The, the best thing you can do for the kids who are still locked up in this system is to do something that will sink it. And Christians leaving will, will sink it. it will make, it's an untenable project. So, so for, for them, they're having 1.7 children now. Uh, so they can have something to put into daycare. We have, uh, in our church, we have three, four, five, six, seven kids per family, vans that beep when they back up, and you know, they, um, <laughs> we call them reformed assault vehicles. Um, <laughs> if we have kids, bring them up in the nurture and administer the Lord, build a, an alternative, then the kids who want to get out, the kids who want to get an education are going to get out first. Um, I, I think the the last thing in the world we should do for kids who are going to be devoured by the government school system is for us to subsidize it and keep it going for 20 years longer than it otherwise would have. Can, I just sure. wanted to respond to that question, if I might also, because I've heard this a lot. Before I worked for IFI, I worked at Deerfield High School, which is north of here, and, and this was when all this stuff was really coming into the schools, and I would hear parents say, you know, oh, I want my child to be salt and light. They don't know what it's like in the high school. For the most part, 
Christian kids do not speak out on these issues in their classes because if they do, they have to hold their own against 15 or 19 other kids arguing against them. Second, their parents aren't even salt and light. Their parents won't go to the school board and make a two-minute statement. At Deerfield High School, two teachers were teaching this egregiously obscene play. I'm sure some have heard of it, Angels in America, a gay fantasia on national themes, won a Pulitzer Prize, Tony Kushner, homosexual playwright. They were teaching that. It's so obscene, you can, even liberal teachers in my department didn't think it should be taught. And, it's, and you could, it was like getting, pulling teeth to get anyone to go to a school board meeting to oppose it. And some of the parents said to me, well, Lori, I'm just going to go and I'm going to oppose the play on the basis of language. I'm not going to touch the homosexuality. It had a drag queen in it and homosexuals and other stuff that I wouldn't say. And so, and, and I said, okay, fine, because then they're going to find a clean play about homosexuality to teach. So I said, so I'll do it. You know, I'll go, you do what you want. But so they think that if they're, if they have their child in school who doesn't swear, somehow that's like setting a really good example. In addition, children are not missionaries. We don't send missionaries into the mission field until they've been trained. And we're sending kids out and thinking they're supposed to be missionaries. This is Illinois Family Spotlight. More from the Illinois Family Institute Worldview Conference after this. This is Albert Moeller for townhall.com. The Supreme Court has announced that it will take up cases that will determine whether or not sexual orientation and gender identity are included as protected classes under the federal government's Civil Rights Act of 1964. During the Obama administration, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission cited the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which prevented discrimination on the basis of race, color, religion, sex, or national origin, and they said that gender identity and sexual orientation should be considered included under sex. But there's no one who can plausibly argue that Congress and the then-President Lyndon Johnson had sexual orientation and gender identity in mind in 1964. They didn't. They wouldn't have understood what we are talking about. It's an effort from the moral revolutionaries to try to further their aims by going around Congress, seeking action by executive order, and then support from the courts. An ultimate decision in this case is not likely to come until June of 2020, and that sets the stage for an incredible drama now to follow. I'm Albert Moeller. Have you ever noticed how many churches sit empty throughout the week? Well, Freedom Project Academy wants to change that, and it's a simple concept partner with churches across the country to provide fully accredited, biblically-based online classes that allow every church that sits empty Monday through Friday to start their own school. Let's fill up our churches all week long. Visit Freedom Project Academy because together we can faithfully educate America. Thanks again for joining Illinois Family Spotlight. During this edition, we're featuring the question and answer session from the recent Illinois Family Institute Worldview Conference dealing with transgenderism. Our speakers at the event were Walt Heyer with SexChangeRegret.com, Denise Schick with Help for Families Ministries, Dr. Michelle Cortella, Director of the American College of Pediatricians, Pastor and Author Doug Wilson, and Lori Higgins, Cultural Affairs Writer, for the Illinois Family Institute. Sir? Uh, this question is for Walt. Um, I was just curious as to, um, did your father or mother get a chance to see uh, the redemption side of, of your story? Uh, no. My, they passed away before they got to see the 
Well, my, my mother, for a, for a period of time, did. But my mother uh, never liked me. She just never did. I, we, she, before she passed away, uh, we were at her house, and um, I was getting ready to leave, and she said, sit down very abruptly to my wife and I. And I sat down, and she said, you know, um, I just wanted to tell you something that I, I've been needing to tell you. Um, that I don't share in my talk is that she said, I do remember when I almost killed you. And I had confronted her about it maybe two years before then, and it broke, it broke the relationship up, and she was very angry that I'd mentioned that to her, and so she wouldn't speak to me. There was a lot of abuse uh, that, I, that was even prior to the age of four uh, that I don't have a great deal of recollection about, but it was... Uh, she did apparently um, think that she had almost killed me one day, and I had this recollection, but I didn't have the details. So um, I didn't have a good relationship with my mother even after redemption, um, and my father had passed away, and my grandmother long before that. So, uh, and I have a brother uh, who still today doesn't speak to me and uh, refuses to even mention my name, even though I've been redeemed and restored. Uh, I'm still unfit as far as he's concerned. So, uh, but that's okay. My kids love me, and to my daughter, she said I'm her hero. And so. Um, and your question? Um, I guess my question is for Doug Wilson. Um, okay, so as Christians, we homeschool, we get to college. What do we do to help our kids navigate that crazy world? Okay, so this is. Uh, th this will be an inadequate and brief answer. If you want to raise up kids, uh, well, in, in Psalms it says the man whose quiver is full of, uh, who has his quiver full has sons who stand with him when he contends with his enemies in the gate. So the Bible's talking about children as a blessing is not children, it's not about the patter of little feet around the house, as fun as that is. It's about grown sons who are on your side in the fight is you contend with your enemies in the gate. So the goal of Christian education is to bring up sons and daughters who are formidable when it comes to engagement with the world. And as soon as they're formidable, you let them go into the world and not before. Some kids are formidable. They're ready for the state university when they're 18. And when they go to the university, you've trained them in such a way that they're going to have a big, they're going to make a bigger dent at the university than the university is gonna make with them. They're gonna have a bigger impact. If they're not ready for that yet, then we have a fine Christian liberal arts college in Moscow, Idaho, <laughs> where you know some, someone else might not be equipped until they're 21 or 22, but basically you don't, you don't send people out to make a dent, to be salt and light, to make a difference until they actually can. When someone's ready to engage with the enemy, when they're ready to make a difference, then sure, send them to Behemoth State University and they're gonna have story after story when they come home. They're, they're gonna have all kinds of things to tell you about because there's a level of hostility that we're at the University of Idaho is where we are in Moscow. And many, multiple classes, we've heard multiple reports of the first day of class, the freshmen come in, the first day of class, uh, our church is attacked, Christ Church is attacked, Logos School is attacked, in the class, this part of the indoctrination of, of the students. And my favorite story is 
one English teacher launched into a half-hour tirade against Logos School, which is our Christian K-12 through school there in Moscow, and just a tirade for half the class period. And then finally settle down and say, okay, uh, let's get to the subject. How many of you kids have read this book? And one hand went up, a little a girl who's in my daughter's class, Jessica. Oh, and, and how many have read this book? One hand, same girl. How many have read this book? One hand. And then finally the teacher said, oh, that's wonderful. Where did you go to school? <laughs> Hi to Dr. Michelle. And if this has already been covered, I apologize. But um, isn't it true that in your body, every single cell is either XX or XY also before birth? Isn't there a chemical brainwash of sorts that takes place that makes a man's brain different from a woman's? So yes, yes and yes. Any girl is conceived, so at fertilization, she will have XX, any boy will be XY. The presence of the Y chromosome is what sets you down the male pathway. Yes, there are rare, as I alluded to earlier, there are rare genetic conditions or birth defects that can occur, but 98.9% .9 of the time, yes, you're talking XX girl or XY boy, and that's imprinted into every single cell of the body, including every brain cell. And in, um, in 2017, there was a, a research team in Israel which actually analyzed, I believe they did this with cadavers, but they analyzed several different tissues, 53 different tissues of the body between men and women, including brain cells, skin cells, heart muscle, um, breast tissue, 53 different types. And they found over 6,500 genetic differences between men and women. So the genetic differences between men and women are in the hardware, if you will. It's, it goes even beyond the XX and the XY. And you're right, you alluded to um, like a, a, a wash as you're developing. So what happens is if you are um, a little boy in utero, because of your Y chromosome, by eight weeks gestation, that little boy starts to develop testicles that secrete testosterone. And every cell of that little boy's body is bathed in that testosterone. A little girl with two X chromosomes does not make testicles. She does not get bathed in any excess testosterone. So it's not possible, it is physically not possible for a girl to be born with a boy brain or for a boy to be born with a girl brain. Yeah, one of the things that the, the test or the, the advanced research they talk about with the different brain, oddly enough, is done on what you mentioned, the cadavers. And what, what they're reporting is that someone who, after taking hormones, cross-gender hormones for 10 or 15 years, passes away, they do a, uh, on a cadaver study on the brain and see that the brain has changed. Well, it was changed by the use of the hormones. It didn't happen in vitro. So it came after uh, ingesting hormones, which does alter the brain over a period of time, but it didn't happen in the womb it happened as a result of taking steroids, a very powerful cross-gender hormones, a very powerful, and alter the brain. I'm gonna to add to that too quickly, because you're right, the, the very first studies were done on the, the cadavers, and, and so the activists wanted to answer that, that objection, so they started taking snapshots of uh, MRIs, functional MRIs, which are basically a single snapshot 
of brains of people who identify as transgender. And some studies, they're very small, said that, um, oh, look, these transgender identified people, their brains look a little more like the brains of the sex they identify with. And, and they're not taking hormones yet. So to understand what's going on there, we, have, we now know that the brain is a muscle. So, so at birth, our brain is, is wired and appears a certain way. But it doesn't stay that way because our behavior, our relationships with people, the gaze, the gaze of an infant into its mother's eyes, that shapes the neurological wiring. And as a more concrete example, if I were to take a picture of a teenage brain, let's, I'll, I'll use my son, Christopher. That's a scary actually, thought. That's a scary, <laughs> oh, you're right, you're right. But I'll use this, my, my son, Christopher, taught himself how to juggle tennis balls. So anyway, if I were to take a picture of, my, of Christopher's brain, um, you know, on Tuesday, uh, before he's done any sort of juggling, and have him practice and train himself to juggle for the next three months, and take another picture of his brain, those two MRIs are going to be different because the portion of the brain that is responsible for coordinating the juggling is going to be larger and more physiologically active. Now, I tell Christopher, all right, I forbid you. No more juggling for the next three months. Take another picture of his brain. It's going to be back to where he started pre-juggling. So the brain is a muscle. So just finding a single different, you know, one-time photograph, so to speak, with that functional MRI is meaningless. The brain is not a static, pre-wired thing. Behavior and thinking is not pre-wired. Skin color, that's predetermined by genetics. Sex, that's predetermined by genetics, both at conception. Can I just, I wanted to ask Denise if she could talk for a minute about how did you raise your kids? You know, what did you do in terms of, you had small kids when your dad was panicked. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, our children, our boys, uh, we have twin boys, and so they were five. Uh, their younger sister, four, and then a baby not quite a year old when he left. And out of being concerned for them because of how, as I said to you, imagining that I was a man, just the confusion and everything, I was concerned and probably overprotective in some ways. Like, to be very honest with you, I want to think pink near my boys, you know. It was even looking at things like that, toys, uh, understanding that uh, when they were playing house with their sister, there was a little boy doll at that time where buckled, you know, to teach them how to buckle and tie their shoes and things like that. So it was very hard. But what I did learn about this with raising sons and knowing with my dad is that I had to let go of my mom apron strings at a point in our son's growth and they had to attach themselves to their dad's world. And so I, in a sense, I had to take a few steps back and let go and let them enter into dad's world. And I think that's so important for parents to realize uh, that it is very important not to, I'm not putting any parents down, but sometimes as moms, uh, we can smother our children and so to go public and to speak about our family's story and uh, run in the ministry and like on our Facebook page, like, you know, all of my hosts here, we try to, to let the parents let public 
opinion of what's going on in our schools, what's going on in the world, because I would not be going public without my adult children backing me or my husband or my siblings. So I'm very blessed in that way. Q&A from the recent Illinois Family Institute Worldview Conference that dealt with transgenderism. Find out about upcoming IFI events by visiting IllinoisFamily.org. And please call your state lawmakers and ask them to vote no on pending extreme pro-abortion legislation. Also, ask your lawmakers to vote no on legalizing the recreational use of today's high-potency marijuana. For lawmaker names and phone numbers, go to IllinoisFamily.org and click Officials Finder. Please support the work of the Illinois Family Institute and tell a friend about Illinois Family Spotlight. Until next time, God bless. Thank you for listening to Illinois Family Spotlight. For more information, please visit us at ifiaction.org and look for us on Facebook and Twitter. If you would like to email us questions or comments, please do so at feedback at ifiaction.org. Until next time, stay engaged and keep your eyes on the prize.